Devin, you getting antsy about uh, Atlanta yet? Eh, I mean a little bit. It's just, I, I don't know. I've been playing a lot of different decks, but I'm probably going to end up defaulting to just some kind of stock deck. Yeah. Beautiful. Are, are you getting antsy about the fantasy playoffs? Fantasy football playoffs? No, because I'm not going to lose. It's not going to be close. Are you doing it? You're closing it? <laughs> I have the best team in the league, and it's not even... Like, I am I have the highest point scored this week, I think, by, like, 50. By 50? Yeah, but, well, after today, <laughs> after Tyreek Hill's performance, of course. Wow. Wow. Are we going to talk about our dreams next? <laughs> yeah. We talk about our fantasy teams? <laughs> People love it. <laughs> People love it. Hello and welcome to episode 253 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from Massachusetts, it's the one and only Doomwake, a.k.a. Devin O'Donnell. Do you think, so is it Doomwake, a.k.a. Devin, or Devin, a.k.a. Doomwake? Probably the latter, <laughs> I would guess. Do you think more people, call, more, do more people call you Devin, or do they casually throw out the dooms? Uh, I mean, some people in the stream call me by my first name. I prefer to be called Doomwake, but... Oh, do you? By, by us or by... Well, not by, by my family, you know. I mean, you can call me whatever you want, but you guys are, are basically part of the, family. Are, yeah, are we, the, are we like the Fast and Furious family? Yeah, the Dive Down family. At this point? It's all about family. <laughs> I and mean, we have been doing this for a little over a year now with you, with you, Devin, and uh, it's nice to know that we're on an actual first name basis instead of a, <laughs> a nom de stream basis with you. <laughs> Your pseudonym... pseudonym. Uh, You've also, also stopped us. wearing the mask to to the recording sessions, which I appreciate. Yeah, well. the MF Doom mask. Yeah, we oh, can actually yeah. see what you look like now. <laughs> That's the Godfather Dave Arroger. Here, here I am. Good to see you, David and and Devin. Always good to see both of you. Speaking of good to see both of you, can I tell you about Heavy Play? Do you know about Heavy Play? I feel like you do, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Oh, Have I you know. heard the heavy word, my friends? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Let me tell you about a carpenter who constructed Heavy Play. Uh, a new car gaming accessories brand. Devin's flashing it on his camera right now with with a ooh with a nice. Uh, is that the Zendikar expedition? expedition. Yeah. I have foothills. I have mismatching foothills and it kind of tilts me every time. But I have I have two retro. I have two from Onslaught and two from Cons, and I really want to flesh out that full playset of Onslaught. But anyway, play mismatching cards, everybody. It's fine. It's fine. When you do, you play them in heavy play. Car gaming accessories improves your gameplay and your game day, which is true because your game day is better with these because the play mats, deck boxes, card sleeves, enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. Uh, I was eyeballing the heavy play website just today, honestly, because I want to pick up a few more of the nice nice deck boxes myself. I only have, you know, when Randy sent over some promo stuff, you know, I got like one of each type of deck box and now I just want more of the type that I like, which are unfortunately, well, fortunately the good ones. Uh, well, the, the, the higher end ones, they're all good. They all can support your full body weight standing on them. So I don't know what more you need. Uh, but the equipment system is the clutch part. You can magnetically attach everything together. Your play mat, your dice and deck boxes, all that good stuff all go together. Uh, can be carried around in a single hand. If this sounds interesting to you, go to heavyplay.com, go to your LGS, use code the dive down 2023. That's in numbers. Gets you 10% off your order over at heavyplay.com. I just saw the snap happen on camera and it feels so satisfying such good magnets but yeah heavyplay.com the dive down 2023 randy also gave us the heads up um i mean i know this is what two months out already but he's going to be in the fold at, uh, at the chicago magic con as well 
So if you don't see Randy down in Atlanta, check him out in Chicago. I was actually just going to say that. Yeah, he's going to be in Atlanta too. So if you're if you're listening to this prior to Atlanta, be sure to say hi to Randy and tell him Bums. the dive down sent you, and tell him yeah. also that Devin sent you. And we'll I mean, split Devin's the, part we'll of the, the commission. We'll <laughs> split the commission between our two codes, just Perfect. magically like that. Uh, but on the show. We're going to be talking over the Legacy Europe, European Tour Grand Open Modern Qualifier. That's a total of six words. Now, wait, why are we going to talk about modern right before the Pioneer RC, Shane? I mean, it's the first big event in the post-band world. It had over 700, 702 players to stave. So. People want to know, right? I think they want to know. I mean, especially with the winner. Oh, uh, they're definitely going to want to know who won. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they definitely want to know who won. Um, I, I saw the, I, I briefly, I did like a Grandpa Simpson walking in the door, hanging up my hat, turning around, walking back out uh, when I saw the thread about the winner. And it was over 250 posts just about the uh, the deck that won this event. So Yeah, I was going to say, we, we're making it sound like the winner is infamous. The winner seems to be a very nice person. Oh, yes. I, yes. yes. But boy, did the deck lead to some conversation. Yeah, no, nothing, about, nothing about the winner, uh, thankfully. Um, but the, it seemed like a, a darn good tournament. I'm excited to talk about it. The Atlanta RC, of course, is coming up just this weekend. In my notes, I put two weeks. It's actually this weekend, right? Yep. This episode comes out on Thursday. The tournament will be beginning on Saturday. And so we're going to look at all the latest happenings in Pioneer, Karn, and Appraiser out of the format. Copter is unbanned. What decks are looking like right now what's the the pick to click for the final pioneer rc of this season and i am going to ask you all to try to guess what the order of the metagame is going to be oh get that plant that in your minds right now because we will have some predictions about that later today i'm going to fail miserably but devin will know i got the winning deck in my hand right here right there all right i love it and it does have this card (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Good to know. That was the most important thing I wanted to follow up with you about. I'm going to, okay, you already have the deck in front of you. When we get to that segment, I'm going to guess what you've chosen. <laughs> I'm going to take a shot. Let's see. We've got some housekeeping before that. We've got two new patrons, Gust- Gustav B and Sebastian D. I believe Sebastian is a returning patron, so welcome back to the nation. we got an increased tier in Danny P. Thanks, Danny P, for increasing your support there. We have a bunch of new comments in the Spotify, people popping off, Urameshi, Ethan, is a big new, Dr. Ali, Lars, Daniel, Kurt, CD Kennedy. Uh, thanks for your interaction there. Uh, it was definitely a popular episode, so a lot of comments out there That's about right. the bands. Bands will do that to you. But if you want to be like Gustav, Sebastian, Danny, join the Dive Down Nation. You can get into our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. We have swag going out every month to the, the new supporters. And we appreciate all you all who have been longtime supporters. And if you want to help keep us going, uh, get in there. Even just a buck a week gets you access to the definitively discreet dive down discord. I would like to ask one more thing before we go off of talking about Patreon and other things like that. We are two people away from having a thousand followers on <sighs> YouTube. I forgot about that. I would appreciate it if there are some of you out there who do not follow us on youtube please go give us a follow on youtube give us a like and subscribe as <laughs> as they say uh it would be helpful to us uh because we can try some more things with the channel if we get a thousand followers can we yes we can Ooh, do we get one of those like uh, golden plaques from youtube for a thousand that nah, seems like something they do i don't i don't think you get it for I a wish. thousand i think you get it no, for a million yeah <laughs> 
we'd, we'd know what swag. Devin, Devin's far ahead of us on YouTube stats. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we can, we can try some stuff. We can get in the partner program and stuff like that if we get a thousand listeners right now. So uh, let's see, not listeners, a thousand followers. Subscribers. So, subscribers, yes. Sweet. Yeah. Other Patreon benefits along with uh, Dave forcing your hand to go subscribe to us on YouTube. Like, we don't repeat these all that often, but if you have not yet, we, you can look at everything. We have custom tokens made by uh, a, a Patreon of ours uh, in pixel art for like treasure and construct and Rhino, of course. Mm-hmm. We have, That's from Casey. Thank you, yeah, Casey. Yeah, from Casey. Thank you, Casey. We've got our custom deck box that Dave designed a while ago. We had to get a, th- we had to get a thousand of these, okay, when we order these. And let me tell you what, we've gone through a bunch but if you are a $5 person or longer uh, for three weeks or longer, then we send you two of those deck boxes along with like the sticker sheet, the custom tokens, uh, the set of pins that we have right now. I believe there's seven pins. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there's a lot of good reasons. If, you, if you're at 10 bucks for three weeks or more, or is it eight bucks? I forget. I think it's eight. Yeah. Eight sounds right. You get the custom play mat that's only and will always only be for supporters of the dive down. So get yourself over to the Patreon if you want. Get the exclusive gear that's only for patrons and you help keep us going for one week longer. Yeah. You can also go check out our store for the extended swag collection if you want at thedivedown.com slash store. And I'm going to go through these next ones quickly. Mana Traders. Rent some cards from Mana Traders at Magic Online. That is the Dive Down 23. We'll give you 10% off of your first two months of rentals at manatraders.com. You can check out Barrister Man. We'll talk about more about them a little bit later. You can still get gifts at Barrister and Man, though, and use code the Dive Down 23. 20 and 3 are spelled out in that one uh, to be able to get 15% off your first order. And that is enough of that. Beautiful. Thank you, David. So let's get in to the Legacy European Tour Barcelona Modern Event. And like I said earlier, this is like the first big, and I mean big, like modern event in paper following the Bands of Fury and Up the Beanstalk. They took place this last weekend. Um, No, excuse me. The event took place this last weekend in Barcelona, uh, which is one of my favorite cities, if not my actual favorite. So I hope you all had a good time there. If you were visiting, got some time to explore. 702 players making this the equivalent of what, like a small GP from back in the day? Like, is that still a meaningful metric, do you think, anymore to anyone what a GP-sized event even is? I barely remember. I was going to say a lot of the listeners might not even know what a GP is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, At this point, there's a lot of people coming into the game. That's for the true heads. The, yeah. the Grand Prix heads. So, but yeah, it's a big event, 702 players. I mean, if it gives you any context in, you know, some of the U.S. circuits have like, you know, two to 300 people show up to the event. So this is over double that size. So as usual, we'll talk about the overall meta, uh, any meaningful changes we've seen people been making to like existing decks, how various decks performed, kind of conversion rates, all that good stuff. You know, overall meta, let's get into that. First off, the number one place deck is stop naming your deck things that they aren't. Oh, no. Did you find some errors? Did the Europeans (laughs) do it, too? I thought that only Uh, happened in in America at Energy. They do it everywhere. More more people, I feel like. I did some... So I did some brief looking at decks with, like, one or two pilots, and I see you out there naming your decks Obzon Snowblade and Tenrak. Absan Snowblade? Yeah, when that's really Teamer Rhinos, or like Azorius Infect when it's Tron, or is it Ponza when it's Jun Saga? I see you. 
I see you. Is it death and taxes when you're secretly Yawgmoth? It's not funny. You're is not getting an edge. Taxes? I saw your win rates. It's not getting you an edge. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. Frankly, we left them out on purpose because it makes all the decks look better. When you jokesters <laughs> are left out. Maybe that, maybe, uh, anyway. that, maybe that's a correlation to their win rate. You know, if you choose a, if you choose a trolley deck name, you're just going to lose more. So I, I it's, agree. It's karma. It's karma. It's, it's, it's commentator karma. You know what? It's people who it's people whose heads are not in the right place. Their heads are not in the right place. <laughs> it's that's. I'm going to call your edge. parents. I'm calling all your parents. Enough scolding. Let's get into the archetypes. So, uh, number one at this event with 100 pilots, 14.2 percent of the field. Team of Rhinos. Uh, wow. Pe- people were into the Rhinos. They. This deck didn't change much after the removal of Fury. Like people, a lot of times weren't even running Fury much in the main deck anymore at all so you know they just took any furies they had in the main deck out they put in a few other flex cards like you know i saw maybe a few more flame of anore than usual mystical dispute maybe like a brazen borrower here and there what's interesting to me is like murktide is largely either out of the deck or like a one of these days i maybe saw a few more brotherhoods ends in the 75 even the the top placing deck a little bit of a spoiler had two main and another in the sideboard. So doing something a little bit unusual there with that those main deck Brotherhood ends. But largely, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of the the Tidebinder, Tishana's Tidebinder, and you know, a bunch of subtlety, but largely kind of what you I think would expect with this deck. We already kind of talked about this a little bit in the spoiler episode, but Tidebinder is just cracked. Like I every <laughs> single time I cast that card, I just like I, t- I got a, I targeted a shielder the other day, I targeted a one ring protection trigger. It's just like that card does everything so good yeah it's super flexible super cool do we make it i mean are you, are you guys don't want to stop and celebrate about rhinos being at the top of the mountain Ooh. this is maybe the first time i remember a rhino being on top of the mountain is that that's it's a the little first bit, time in a while they don't usually climb scary. mountains yeah that's right it's not it's not team or goats right. um this is it only had a it had a 50.9 percent win rate which is you know perfectly adequate i'm sure there are a lot of mirror matches out there 50.9 uh you know, it, it's that's kind of rhino-y, right? Is you want consistency, I think, a lot of times, and Rhinos brings you that a lot of times. Uh, is it Murktide was actually his second most popular deck. People cannot put this deck down, 10.3% of the meta, a 49% win rate, actually, you know, more or less what you might expect. That's a good day for Murktide some days. Uh, only a few of these pilots were on the Teamer variant with that one card whose name escapes me. Questing Druid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. And uh, but you know the decks largely look the same to me. Like most decks are running one to two tide binders at this point because it's so flexible and good. But yeah, isn't Murktide showed up in second place? Mono Green Tron making the comeback, wanting the, to do Is the, it? the yeah. Well, I mean, I think so. It's it's nine percent of the meta. That's pretty significant. It only had a forty five point four percent win rate more or less, so not a great day for Tron, but Tron hasn't really done well besides it's coming out at the Pro Tour the other month at this point, and so, you know, uh, people were hoping that it maybe could come back, but... Yeah, I mean, a decrease in Scam definitely has to make Tron a little bit better, right? That was one of their weaker matchups, like the combination of Voidwalker, Thoughtseize, plus Blood Moon. That was a pretty tough matchup for Tron, so kind of it kind of makes sense to see a, a Tron resurgence here. Yeah, and sure. even occasionally just dying to Fury on turn four or whatever, yeah. you know, turn so... The experiment didn't go quite so well, but we'll see if the, the pilots keep sticking with it. Yogmoth in fourth place. There were 55 people on Yog. It's about 7.7% of the meta. It had a 52% win rate. Perfectly good day for Yog. The removal of Fury made people maybe a little bit more 
uh, appetized towards sitting at the Yawgmoth table. I mean, I feel like Yawgmoth in fourth place is not particularly unusual. Um, maybe with the removal of Fury, people were looking at it a little bit more closely. Are these the two decks that people are targeting with putting Brotherhood's End main in Rhinos? Is it targeting Yawgmoth mm. and Tron a little bit on the side, or nah? I don't think it's targeting Tron as much, but Yawgmoth and I was going to say Hammer okay. and Scales. Those okay. seem to be like the three that they're probably yeah. targeting the most. Oh, I forgot about Scales. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exile like Anger does, so it's like slightly less appealing against Yawgmoth, but it's, you know, it can it can do enough, like if they have counters on them and stuff like that, but, you know, I, ideally, if I was targeting Yawgmoth more hard, I'd probably be running Anger of the Gods, I suppose. We have Amulet Titan up next. Another deck that uh, Brotherhood's End could be particularly okay at, I suppose, averse, I suppose. Um, Titan had 6.5% of the field. It had a 52.4% win rate. It's essentially the same looking deck to me. Spelunking isn't in most of these decks I looked at. It's like a one-of in just a, f- a handful of the lists that I saw. It was in the a one-of in the highest placing deck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, run out there and get four of them in there. It's probably for the best. Living End, a big story of this tournament. We'll talk more about that later. We had 39 people, 5.5% of the meta, and a 52.1% win rate. Good day for Living End. Uh, People were definitely, I think, pretty hyped to bring this one back out of the deck box closet. Nothing looked really different to me. So, you know, the the tuning in Living End, I think, is pretty small. It's like, what's your font and generous ant balance and stuff like that? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense to see a pretty big resurgence, though, because Rhino's most played deck, Scam no longer in the format. Well, so we think there is. But, Mm. yeah, it it does make sense for Living End to be a high player. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, just say it. Yeah, go ahead. Burns next, 3.6% of the meta, 40.1% win rate. 40.89% 40.89% win rate. I apologize. Let me give you that 0.7% backburn players. Okay. I have no comment. Mono White Hammer. Mono White Hammer, 3.2% of the meta. Uh, only a 46% win rate for Hammer. Not a particularly great day, even in a post-Fury world. I mean, when you're facing down, Team Rhino is usually very prepared for a Hammer. Living End is definitely prepared against Hammer. I don't know. Like, what, what's Hammer hoping to see out there? Like, you know, Murktide's got a lot of point removal. I don't know. Not Hammer's Day, I think, in this Cascade world, perhaps. Hardened Scale still sticking around. 3.1% of the meta and a 53.7% win rate. So even though it lost what was ostensibly its two best win uh, matchups in Scam and Four Color, it did great. It was one of the best decks in the top 10. But the next best is Domain Zoo. Surprise. 3.1% of the meta, a 57.1% win rate. That's really good. 57.1%. That's the best that we've had so far. Yeah. Best I mean, of the top 10 decks. It's the old deck we know. Punch some faces, deny some spells. That's what I want to be doing most of the time, honestly. So I probably should play this deck more than I do. The other portion of the meta below 3% is 237 players or about 33.7% of the room. So the top 10 decks made up 66% of the meta. And I don't know. Overall, this looks like a format to me, right? Like this looks like modern in my memory stuff you know the the decks jumping up after the bands and i'm these definitely stuff like teamer rhinos is something that people can significantly prepare for in their sideboards if they want to so yeah and notably we don't see any uh, well at least in these top 10 no rakdos and no four color maybe we'll talk about those in a second <laughs> yes we might the uh so 
the best acts outside the top 10 included Coffers with eight players at 53.5, Demir Shadow had seven players at 54.7, and Rakdos Midrange mm-hmm. had, had seven pilots mm-hmm. somewhere in the low 60% win rate. And I say this because it's slightly challenging to calculate because they were called different things. Someone had miscategorized one of their decks as like Rakdos Control or something like that. Uh, it was like something else entirely, but but dang, like that's low 60s for a deck people thought was potentially dead. It's not bad. No, I'll take it. Better than Burn. Um, <laughs> yes, a little bit. A little bit better than Burn. And there are bad performers in the, outside the top 10, including like the four, included four-color Omnath decks, 11 players with 40.3%, and Orizolve Elementals, the deck people were potentially picking to be the home for grief, had four players at 39.1. So at least these builds were not the truth in this environment. Okay. Well, let's stop so, there for a second. Yeah, let's stop. Okay. Here. So we got a top ten. Yep. Good old, good old modern decks. Removing the ones that everybody was annoyed about. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, do we have anything to say about the fact that Rectos is still hanging around, and also that somehow Demir Shadow is hanging around suddenly right now with just well, not not just outside the top three percent, but at about one percent of the meta with pretty good, uh, pretty good results and coffers for that matter. What do we think about these these sleepers? I mean, I, I want to hear a little bit more about Coffers in this type of environment, Devin, because Coffers is a deck that I'm consistently tempted to to pick up and play. I have my four Shieldred at this point, so all I got to do is pull the trigger on the Coffers themselves. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a weird one. Part of the reason to play Coffers before was I think you had a relatively decent matchup against both Four Color and Scam. So with the decline in those decks, like... If I'm if I'm bringing coffers to this room, I don't like my matchup against Rhinos. I don't like my matchup against Murktide because they just have pressure plus a pile of counter spells. Uh, Tron is kind of sketchy in the draw. Yogmoth has been hit or miss. That matchup is kind of tough. Amulet very direwolf dependent. So it's like though out of those top five decks, there's like not really a ton that I want to actively see from the coffer side of things. Past that, it's not bad. Like Burn Hammer Scales, those are all fine matchups. Don't mean to like you want to play against creature decks, but yeah, I don't I don't know if this is a great metagame for coffers. So I'm kind of surprised to see these players do well with it. And maybe just had some good matchups or skilled players. I feel like Coffers is likely like an enthusiast deck. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think I don't think people are going to be casually bringing that. So yeah, I don't know much about Demir Shadow, Dave. Like you know, it's just a, a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be surprised if you know there's some environment where Shadow can succeed. I think the 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 thing that I'm perhaps a little bit surprised by is Domain Zoo doing this well. I feel like that's not necessarily a super easy deck to hate out necessarily, right? Like it's maybe if it's like in a, a control deck that's like running sweepers, like I don't really know like how you really plan for a, a deck with creatures that big that hit that hard unless you just have maybe a few more pieces of point removal. I don't know. I mean, Living living End is probably pretty good against it for yes. what it's worth. You're just yeah. vomiting your hand out. I mean, they do have Stubborn Denial. And bringing their stuff back. They do have Stubborn Denial, which helps in those situations. Yeah. Just lean, lean on stuff. Baby. Yeah, I would imagine that Murktide is probably something that Domain Zoo wants to play against too because of the red removal. Now, if you get Unholy Heat online, that could still kill like a you know two mana five five, but it's not the easiest thing to get Unholy Heat online that early. So, you know, that could be something as well. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna swing at faces, you probably could do worse than Domain Zoo right now. I did a, a 
a chart of the top 64. There were so many players, I thought 32 might be a little bit too limiting. So, I mean, even the top 64 were doing quite well for themselves. I'm not going to get into, I'm just going to do like the everything but the one ofs. And so we've got 11 rhinos, 7 amulet, 6 living end, 6 yog, 5 tron, 5 murktide, 4 coffers. You may notice I said there were 8 coffer pilots overall. Four of them made the top 64. Three zoo. Two Azorius control feature in Kihira. And then our one ofs that include things like Rack Mid and Hammer and Merfolk and all that good stuff. Um, hardened Scales, etc., etc. So, what about the Is It Death and Taxes player? Do we know how they did? <laughs> I didn't see them Very listed good. here. So, we, Dave, there was an Is It Blitz deck, by the way, in the top 64. So, stop calling it Blitz. Dave, I mean, you would, you would be proud. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but I played Is It, well, I guess Blitz or Prowess in, a, in an RCQ. I yesterday. did see it, but I didn't see the list that you played. I looked, I looked around, but I didn't post it. I just copied the challenge list, but I O two dropped anyway. So. Yeah, it didn't look like it went it went well. So I mean, I wasn't going to mention it because I wanted I want my prowess baby to be uh, un, uh, untarnished. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I've seen a couple people talking about prowess online. It, it'll be interesting to see if it has any. Le- it does have a, one of the most broken cards in the format in it in Underworld Breach. So. You know, one of the more broken and underutilized cards in the format right now, if you look at this list in particular. But So I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about like sort of conversion rate, like the biggest bumps, like Rhinos was up from like 14 to 17. Titan did well, like they gained 4% from 6.5 to 10.9. Living End did really well, like 5.5 to 9.4. All six of the people who were in the top 64 were actually in the top 32. Hmm. So they did pretty well. Uh, Yogmoth was like a winner from the field. Three of them were in the top 32. Tron went down. Murktide went down. Like I said, Coffers did really well. Four of the eight pilots in the top 64. Um, ha- you know, Zoo's up a little bit. Hammer only put one pilot of 22 in the top 64. Yeah, and, that's rough. And Burn put one pilot in the top 64 from 25 players. I mean, one thing that's fascinating. Well, since, you know, I'm not to like tip our hands, I'm sure everybody's looked at Twitter, but if Rakdos midrange really had seven pilots and only one of them was in the top 64, yet the win rate was in the low 60s. Yeah, I don't know how that worked out. It must mean that like two of them did absurdly Mm. good and then a bunch of them did not that well, but one of them must have done well enough to barely make it or to barely miss the top 64. I don't know. There's some fuzzy math going on there, I feel like, as far as expectations. Yeah, I mean, but, top um, 64 in like a 700-player tournament is still pretty, a pretty darn good you know, win rate. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably what. If you're in the top 64, you're it's probably 15 rounds. So what, you're 12x? So think about it this way. So seven pilots, if six of them O2 dropped, right? And the other the other people, there's one other person who I think ended up, I think she went X one in the Swiss yeah. and then three O top eight. So well. yeah. if there was, I think there was 15 rounds, two draws, one, so that's 12, 15 wins, one loss. If you do 15 and one, and then the six losses would be 15 and seven. Does that get you right? That gets you right to about 64%. Definitely so, does. I mean, even if the other six players all O2 dropped, I think her just crushing the event might have, you know, made the win rate overall that around 60s. That that makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's not get too romanced by the mid-range win rate overall when it was one person who had a yeah. 95% win rate. Yeah, a, a, small, a small sample size like that can have you know yeah. weird things happen. Yeah. The... So the top eight, let's get into that. 
We've got uh, Daniel Earhart on Rhinos, 13-1-1. One one. Uh, Daniel had two Brazen Borrower, two, two Subtlety, two Tidebinder, four Shardless as the creature suite, of course. Uh, expected suite of spells, but that uh, Daniel had the two main deck Brotherhood, and I'm curious to see what Daniel's take on that main deck was. Maybe, you know, it's a kind of deck that you kind of can have a larger sideboard by sort of main decking some sideboard cards that you expect might be valuable and then sort of just reconfigure because you're a cascade deck. So I think, it, you know, it's an interesting idea. Raw Avoscan on Titan, 12-2-1. Singleton Spelunking Main, as I mentioned. An interesting sideboard here. Three defense grid. Uh, a Tarrasque, which is a six green, 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 10, 10 with haste ward 10 and fights another creature when it attacks. It's, I'm guessing like an anti-control card. So pretty cool. Ward 10 is beautiful. Like that's just the perfect number to put on ward, you know? Yeah, just like I'm essentially hexproof. Come at me, bro. The uh, Daniel Forns, third place on Living End, 12, 2, and 1. Looks like Living End to me. Mariluz Garcia on Rakdos Midrange, 12, 2, and 1. Yes, Rakdos Midrange. The interesting thing here was I thought it was pretty much mid-range, but then I looked more closely, and there were four Grief, along with kind of the, you know, Dothy, Fable, Bowmasters, Ragavan, Singleton, CZ, and Shelly in there, but also four Not Dead After All and a Malakir Rebirth, sort of hedging the fifth scam effect with could also be a land and then like molten collapse fatal push terminate both thoughts ease the hand and board interaction so this scam was still scamming my friends even though it only had four grief yeah when i look at this list it looks like she just cut four furies for like a pyromancer a blood moon a collapse and a colligan's command and everything else is basically the same <laughs> yep <laughs> yep and you know what? I'm here for it. Good. I mean, people get to play their deck still. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, people, of course, on Twitter went wild, but like, <laughs> go ahead, rack those people. Keep playing it a little bit more. You know, Mary Liz did. She did good. And maybe not everybody else did, but I mean, maybe it's still okay. Yeah, I think it's potentially Im- important to remember that the scam effects can also just be uh, protection. It doesn't yeah. have to just doesn't have to just grief them. You know what I mean? It's still just a good thing to keep Dothy Voidwalker or Ragavan or you know trigger Bowmasters again or whatever. So you could do worse. Yeah, I mean Devin uh, had a hypothesis that this might happen last week when we were talking about the bands, and I was kind of like, I don't think it's good enough. Maybe grief it's good is, enough at least to get by. Grief is still a messed up card. Yeah, it is. I will say, you know, there was a lot of talk too about uh, Mary Liz's sideboard as well being extremely configured to beat. Uh, cascade decks. I think that I saw somebody post her matchups, and it was like beat Living End five times and beat Rhino three Rhinos three times or something like that. Because the sideboard has Chalice, two cursed, like a bunch of different stuff going on in that in that sideboard. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was overly boarded, though. Honestly, like I, you know, when. when the scam decks before the bands were still like, you know, you'd have two Chalice, you'd have two EE, things like that. So it's got Leyline of the Void is the big thing that that mm. wasn't generally present in these before. It's got three I mean, I mean there was, there was there It was the there mirror, for the though. mirrors, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, she kept them and used them against Living End. So yeah. Uh, fifth place, Joel Griebel on Living End. Looks like Living End. Samuel Lumbreris on Living End as well. And then Raphael Bio on Yogg. And Andrea Paimonti on Is It Murktide? Looks like Is It Murktide to me. Oh, Paimonti was, I didn't realize Paimonti was in the, uh, was in this top eight. That's cool. And like we said, uh, Mariluz takes the whole thing down. Furious scam over David Forns on Living End. So way to go, Mariluz, for winning this huge tournament. Way for, way to... Uh, rep your deck. I think that Mary Luz was kind of a known scam aficionado uh, based on her Twitter. 
So I think like that's that's her thing. So more power to you. That is, you know, very something that's very awesome to see where you have like somebody who's very well, like a, like a deck specialist kind of thing and, and something gets banned out of their deck and they're just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to still crush every <laughs> single person. So, you know, as as much as I have, you know, a pure disdain for the card grief, it's really, really awesome to see Mary Luce take it down. I, I, I think I think it's pretty sick. I will say I'm not super concerned about the people who really hate scam having to deal with this a lot going forward. If you look at the challenges, cha- like scam slash Rakdos isn't even a blip in either of the challenges this weekend on Magic Online. There aren't a, there isn't a single copy in the top 32 of either one. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see if it picks up here. steam. Yeah, a lot of the challenges were just like a, a ton of Yogmoth, right? I think I remember seeing one of them. There was like four in the top eight. There was the one that Dingo top eighted with Ginger, I believe. Yeah. yeah this one has four four Yogmoth in the top eight, a uh, bunch of Living End. But yeah, the challenges seem pretty diverse. There's nothing too crazy. This one has four in the top thir- four Yogmoth in the top thirty-two. There is an but- Orzov scam in the top eight of one of the challenges, which is a little okay. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't think we can look at scam winning this and just being like okay the scam overloads are still here wait x-file is playing <laughs> also top aided the uh the challenge yesterday with a uh demir scam oh, demir scam remember when i brought that one up and we were like nah subtlety is not gonna be a thing here it is <laughs> subtlety with scam dave can i interest you in a card called una's black card do you remember that one i kind of remember i'm looking at it right now <laughs> <laughs> Either each other rogue creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter, it deals combat damage to a player. Draw a card. So it's oh gosh, this deck no, is they amazing. Discard oh, they discard a card. So That's you know what? You know you know what happens when you cast uh, feign death on your grief. You put a plus one plus one counter on your grief. So if you go turn one grief feign death turn two. Uh, play the Una's black card, attack them with grief, they discard another card. That's so wild. And then <laughs> it also pumps your Douthy Voidwalker and Stalactite Stalker is in this deck as well as a one drop because they are rogues. Sweet. Mm. Wild. This is some wild stuff. So okay. is, that, is this is this where we're going to kind of be? Like where like Scam is sort of like lurking in the shadows, just like, hey, remember me? You know, then like, you know, top eighting or winning an event. Or is it you think like people can continue to iterate on this? Like, are people going to return to scam because of stuff like this? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I kind of think we're in this like really heavy cascade meta. You know, we saw Rhinos was probably the most played deck living in was up there, too. And I think it's really just kind of like decks that need to have a reasonable plan against Cascade or have half of their sideboard dedicated to it. Um, And I don't really see that changing too much anytime soon. I think the Cascade decks are just like extremely well built. They're very, you know, they just do what they're going to do. And uh, yeah, Cascade just messed up. Yeah. Don't tell people that's fair and balanced. (laughs) A, A conversation for another time. Yeah, uh, go have fun. Go have fun in modern. It looks like people are trying to figure things out. Other than the fact that Rhinos is probably going to stay at the top of the meta for a while, I would bet, just because it's popular as well as being good. All right. Well, we spent about a half hour on modern. Uh, forgive us in this RC Atlanta preview episode. Let's take a quick little break, and then we'll get back into talking about the current state of Pioneer before the last regional championships. So stay with us. David, have have you ever been to the planet Arrakis? I mean, I've never been there. Who's been there? Have you been? Have you been there in your mind? I mean, have you you imagined life on Arrakis? Well, 
you know, <laughs> what, Ride, what do they say? A giant fear, fear is the fear is the, the mind, mind killer. killer. Yeah, yeah, I've been my mind has been killed by fear. So mostly, I just chill out on Earth still and just kind of vibe. If you like me and wanted to tra- to travel to Arrakis, you can buy Melange. The shaving soap at Barrister and Man, which the the art of Melange is like a very old school comic book looking image of a sandworm. Why isn't it a picture of Sting in a in a thong? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Now, why isn't that the the picture on every shaving soap at Barrister and Man? Yeah, is I mean, what look, I really want to know this this packaging is great. It's like an old pulpy picture of a sandworm. The text on the front of it is in it's, one of my uh, favorite typefaces, the Cooper Black, my friend. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very good. I love Cooper Black. Okay, so this is cinnamony, nutmeggy, definitely some like ginger, cardamom stuff, and a desert air blend. I want to know where Will picks up his desert air to blend into this product. Um, Arrakis. That's a good point. He's been He's, there in his mind. So yeah, this is this is spicy. This is wintry. Like this is very much like if you are into a winter scent, I would highly suggest this. I like like all of them, of course. Yes. But Melange, that's that's one of the latest ones from the winter collection. Another one on the winter collection that's coming up is Dickens. It comes out on the twelfth. And that is that's the cookie inspired one you talked about last week, Dave. Is it cookie inspired or is it just <laughs> that there's a cookie recipe that goes with it? Let Let's me see, see what Will has to say. We talked about it a little bit last week. Oh, it is it is inspired by one of his favorite holiday cookies. Lemon lemon spices, cherries, and powdered sugar. I, I, I like sweet scents. Honestly, with especially with like some citrus backbone, so I am uh, amped to get a sample bar of this headed my way. Yeah, it's going to be very good. I, I love the picture of the kids, the Victorian children, throwing snowballs <laughs> at each other too on the blog. That's what that's what you and your family look like, right? Around around the streets of Chicago. Yes, we're all that short. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me. So if you want to get Melange, if you want to check out Dickens, you can head on over to Barrister and Man M A Double N. You can use our code, the dive down 23, where the numbers are spelled out. The dive down 23 gets you 15% off your order. I would suggest ordering quickly. And you know, the post office gets backed up during the holiday season. So get that order in for yourself, for some loved ones, stock up on what you need, especially with all these seasonal variants that are going to go out of print uh, sometime soon. So Barrister and Man, the dive down 23. All right, we're back. And now it's the time to talk about the true meat of the matter this week. And that is preparation for RC Atlanta, which is Pioneer. Now, we're fortunate enough to have Devin here, of course, with us, who is going to participate in the RC. But what we wanted to do is just kind of get together and talk a little bit about a preview of the field, talk about observations about the about the Pioneer field since the bands and kind of move on like that. Uh, what I want to do is at the end is kind of, I think, as I hinted earlier, is try to put together a guess among the three of us of what we think the metagame is going to be, like what we think that maybe the top five decks will end up being with all of this. Because, you know, we had some bans and we also have some other weird things happening right now, or at least maybe one new hype deck coming out of LCI at this point. Don't forget, you got you to gotta guess my deck too at the end. Yes, I'm, I'm, I, I have a guess. 
We'll see what happens when we get to it. Okay, so I think that what I'd love to do is go through basically three pieces. We're going to talk about the effect of the bands. We're going to talk about the effect of new cards from from Lost Caverns of Ixalan that are still kind of settling in. And then we're going to talk about other metagame things that happen, because there are a couple of things that are kind of raising up quite a bit uh, as far as Pioneer goes. And then at the end, I want to try to take a shot at what that meta is. So let's start with the bands. All right, we all know Karn was banned. Geological Appraiser was banned, and Smuggler's Copter was unbanned. We've had, you know, about a week and a half to settle into those things. So I thought, let's go through card by card, talk about what seems like is going on with the ramifications of these cards being banned to start. Uh, I think we got to start with Karn, right? Karn, obviously, taking a shot at Mono Green Devotion. Mono Green Devotion longtime popular deck in Pioneer, often the most played deck at these RCs. I think it happened two years in a row where it was kind of like the, the December RC kind of swirled around and then Mono Green became the most popular deck in each of those times. What has happened since then, uh, since the ban has happened in this, this last week? So I have a couple of tournaments to look at. Basically, I have the 12-7 League Dump and the 12-8 Challenge and the 12-9 Challenge to look at as data that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we also did get a few we got the showcase challenge on the 10th and the normal challenge on the 10th to follow up although okay. i don't think the information that you're about to share is impacted by either of those okay keep me honest on that because i have i have data from the earlier ones but let's see if something else comes up i did put the showcase in the notes too so when we get to the results we can talk about that too okay perfect so okay mono green i, I mean i don't think it did very well the two challenge top 32s that, that I was looking at last night when I was writing these notes for the 8th and the ninth, there were zero copies of Nykthos in those top 32s from what I could tell. At least okay. zero copies of Nykthos in green. I think there was one in Angels, <laughs> but we can talk about that later. Yeah, it did not fare any better. There's no green on the Sunday challenge or the showcase challenge, the showcase qualifier. And then there was two five O's in the leagues. One was from a player named Andy Burden. And then the other one's from a well-known player, Bill Zive, who I think has played a lot of mono green over the years. Yeah. I don't see any uh, or many in the prelims from what I could tell as well. So, you know, mono green, I think a lot of people felt like it was already on a downswing. It's potentially going even lower than it was before. You know, the only thing that we've seen in the ones that I've seen results of, they were very close to the stock list. It's just basically like taking out Karn, moving to Vivian like we thought. Occasionally, there's a Nissa who shakes the world, and that's just kind of all that's going on with Mono Green at the moment. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit bummed. Um, I was actually interested in testing the deck for this week just to have some kind of thoughts about it, but it was doing so poorly that I was just like, no, there's no reason to talk about this deck right now. It don't, you know, it's not a deck that's that's performing well, and you know, no one's really going to care about how it feels to have you know Vivian instead of Karn right now. I don't think. Yeah, I know uh, Aspiring Spike was doing a lot of work on his stream. I think he spent like two or three days just kind of, he had like a, a list that was playing like a whole bunch of Sunken Citadels to pair with uh, Castle Garenbrig and Nykthos and Lair and all this stuff. And I mean, he was having some some moderate success and it looked somewhat decent. But I think a lot of, there's a couple of factors here. So I think first of all is people aren't necessarily sure how they're supposed to go about building it. Um, I, You know, there's a couple of different takes. I've seen a lot of people suggest they go back to Burning Tree Emissary, which powers out Vivian, which lets you cast like turn four Ulamog could do something like that. You could be slightly more like, I guess mid-rangey is the way to put it with like Storm the Festival and Nissa and all these Planeswalkers. And the other thing is it's, I think, a lot more susceptible to removal spells because before you could play 
Like you could reasonably play kind of this longer game where you just like, if you don't have a bunch of devotion in play, you play Karn, you minus get a value thing. But now that your devotion is being a lot more pressured early and you don't have Karn to like kind of have that mid-range bailout plan, it feels like you need to kind of, you need to dodge the removal spells a lot more to have that, keep that devotion in play, if that makes sense. So I think the thing that I was looking at after seeing that basically mono green is for the most part non-existent, at least in these large field tournaments, or it's not performing well, was to, to just kind of go through a mental list. I looked at uh, mtgmeta.io for the previous era, which is one nice thing that they have on this website is you can go and look from like the last set that to come out that came out from like woe until the bands, basically as an era of of win game percent of winning percentage. And so just as a gut check, I took a look at the, the decks that seem to do uh, badly against Monogreen Devotion that might be going up, and then the ones that had good matchups against Monogreen that might be on the way down because of it being missing. And so that list, just for what it's worth for us to talk about later, you know, Enigmatic Incarnation, Monogreen seemed to be good against that. Grease Fang, according to MTG Meta IO, was you know, Monogreen was 55% against that. It was 56% or 57% against Angels. It was good against Creativity, Red Midrange, Raksak, Omnath, and Mono Red. Now, some of these decks aren't decks that are played with very high frequency anyway in in uh, Pioneer, but there's a number on this list that I think are worth keeping an eye on. In particular, Angels, Gruel, Grease Fang, Enigmatic, Creativity. I think those are things that really, Raksak, those are all things that can have something pop as a result of that. On the flip side, the decks that were really good against Mono Green that ev- that might be worse against everything else would be like Spirits, Phoenix. It looks like Lotus was really good against Mono Green as well, and then Humans as far as that kind of goes. I don't know if this is a, a an accurate list, but that was the kind of thing I was trying to figure out. It's like, okay, with this space, this ramp space being missing in the meta, what is that kind of what flags does that raise for us as far as what we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I think definitely Grease Fang is up there. Grease Fang was uh, a, a deck that was have a, had a little bit of hard time against Karn, although that kind of did change with the printing of Bitter Triumph too, because you could just like you know they even if the green player was in the play, they would play Karn. You would just like end step Bitter Triumph and tap and, and go ham. Um, creativity is one that we you know really haven't seen a lot as of late. Um, I haven't seen a ton, especially with the the new set as well. And then I think another big one is Raksak. That was kind of, it's always a tough matchup for Rack because they would just like Karn to shut off your Witch's Oven. So, you know, that on top of the fact that Raksak also got Copter, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a, a good weekend here for Raksak. And then on the other side, you, you said last week, Devin, that you were concerned about Spirits. I mean, are you similarly concerned about any of these other decks that potentially had great matchups against Green being vulnerable to not having that matchup to prey on anymore? Or... Where are we at on some of these other decks? Uh, that one's a little bit tougher. Like, it's so weird because, like, the Geological Appraiser, even though it only lasted a week and a half, kind of, like, shifted the entire metagame. And it feels like maybe people still haven't adjusted properly to it being banned because, like, there's still a lot of people playing blue Eye Control. And I don't really think that, like, I, you didn't mention blue Eye Control, but I don't think that deck is, it is that great against the non-appraiser decks, but as far as, like, Spirits, Phoenix, Lotus Lotus Field, and, and Mono-White Humans, um, you know, I think Spirits and Humans are definitely on a downtick, but that's also because of the fact that Smuggler's Copter, it's like, you know, kind of these cascading effects, it's not just green, it's also, these decks are rough against Copter. Right, makes sense. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Appraiser. I was looking 
trying to figure out what a takeaway it could be to just talk about the fact that appraiser was here and gone, but it was gone for such, it was here for such a very short amount of time that, it, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that maybe there's an overrepresentation of blue white in the field right now because people are just maybe picked it up and then got used to playing it and now they don't want to stop playing it. But that I couldn't really see any other effects that made me think that geological had kind of left a mark on the format at this point or that there's something that we have to keep in mind about that card having been here i will say i just kind of like check my own answer i check my own facts here a little bit uh blue white control did not have that many uh participants in the top 32s of the challenges it looks like there was one in the top 32 none in the showcase one in the top 32 and then three in the top 32 of the four challenges so yeah it seems like the this weekend's challenge results kind of have have already adapted but yeah it's just like it's so weird because there was the geological appraiser stuff then everybody was preparing for multiple rcs that weekend so it's like people were just scrambling to figure out what to do and it seems like at least for the motor results people have kind of come back to normal okay that's good to know all right and then the last factor on the format as far as cards entering and leaving the format via bans and unbans is of course smugglers copter Ooh. devin's favorite card devin yeah. De- what Je- what devin drives to work every morning right now <laughs> uh he's already told us he's already flashed up that he is going to take one of a deck with this uh to atlanta with him but what has happened since then so here's here's the headline from what i can tell and from what it looks like to me copters immediately become one of the most popular cards in pioneer just like that it's one of the most popular cards in pioneer and here's here's the numbers that go with that in the 1207 league it was in 18 percent of the decks that were in that drop including thing and the cards that were ahead of it were fatal push thought sees fable and coco so there were uh 18 it was in 18 percent of the decks in that league including things like rack mid gruel aggro merfolk rakdos reanimator which is kind of a weird one to see but it five owed is it in soul artifact mono white humans rack sack etc 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 so that's a that's a league deck dump but how about in a challenge? So in the challenge on the 8th, it was showing up as one of the top cards with 35 copies and in 31% of the decks in that challenge. So according to Goldfish, I didn't go do the math myself. And then in the top, uh, the 1209 challenge, it was in six decks. Didn't quite register as one of the top cards, but still it was in six six different decks, including Rakdos Mid, Gruel Vehicles, Bant Spirits, and uh, interesting kind of like black-red discard deck, kind of like Hollow One without Hollow One that Timu was piloting in that particular challenge. And then I actually have the, I put the showcase, and then there's also an additional challenge from Sunday. So in the showcase, there are, let me see if I can find it. It was the sixth most played card in top 16, 19 copies and 31% of decks. And then in the Sunday challenge, it was the fourth most played card, 44 copies and 38% of decks. Yeah. And here here's here's so what's driving that really? Cuz I think it's it's sort of not showing up in some of the decks that we thought it was going to or maybe it's that the decks that we thought it was going to show up in are not performing as well as a couple of other things. It's turning I think it's turning out that it's going in more mid-rangey decks than maybe we thought because the places that are playing it the most actually are Rakdos mm-hmm. and Gruel <laughs> and Raksack. And then spirits here and there. And then beyond that, I think there's some other people trying it out, but it is strongly showing up in Rakdos and Gruel and Raksak in particular. And for what it's worth, you know, if you look at the meta right now, Rakdos was 15.6% of the meta of the 12-8 challenge, which is like five or six decks out of the top 32, was 12% of the 12-9 challenge, which is, you know, four decks out of the top 32. Gruel was 6.2, which is, you know, 
two decks. It was three, you know. So there, there's a good amount of it floating around in here, thanks to those decks just on its own. I am looking through Sunday's challenge. Harry thirteen has a deck that is, oh man, this is this is so tempting. It's it's like mono black aggro, but Rakdos with like. Bloodsoak Champion, Knight, Blood Tithe Harvester, Inti, Kroxa, Scrap Heap Scrounger, you know, the usual suite ah. of black stuffs, Copter, Fable, because why not? Ugh. I did see a, a list kind of like that as well, maybe on the Saturday or maybe in the League Dump. I saw something like that, too. Yeah, this is this is so juicy. Um, but Devin, hmm. I felt like, okay, so we're all kind of agreeing, like, Copter is making an immediate impact. It's a lot of people are playing it. It's showing up in these couple of decks. Let's hear some more love. What kind of love do you have for Copter after playing with it for another week? Okay, but but love, but also, why is it not in some of the decks that people thought were, it was kind of a sure thing? Like, I don't really see it in Convoke. Uh, in Convoke. I don't really see it in Sack. Um, so I'm it's curi- in Sack a good amount. It's, I, it's yeah. It seems mixed though. Like, I'm just sort of yeah. curious. Like, what what is the driving factor? Like, why is it in a mid range deck instead of an aggressive deck? Like, you know, if you have thoughts on these kind of things. Well, um, first of all, cards busted. I've, I've been casting <laughs> that card. Like, I, I don't think I had. I don't think I played a deck. I think I maybe played like one or two leagues with decks that didn't have cop in it over the past week or so. Um, still so busted. Far, Ch- confirmed. Yeah, Check. Still, still busted. It just as just as busted as it was four years ago. So I think a lot of reason that people are playing it in Rakdos is, you know, as honestly as kind of it feels like a reaction to the other decks picking it up where they kind of feel behind if like if you're on the draw and your opponent plays a copter like and you have a bank buster in play you it's kind of this weird situations where like you're under the gun and you can't even offer the trade of your bank buster for their copter so if you don't have that if you don't have like a fatal push for the copter and you're you're kind of on the back foot you kind of are forced to like you know what I mean? It's just like you can't trade and you, you just fall too far behind as far as it not showing up in convoke I I kind of understand it. I did try it in one or two leagues of Convoke, and I think I came to the conclusion that it wasn't quite where you want it to be because the turn that you, like if you play it, it's really hard to get the good Convoke turn in the turn you play because you have to crew with it and then you have to use that. So you have to t- it's like basically tapping two creatures to do it and it's kind of expensive. It kind of sort of unlocked your Gleeful Demolitions, the one thing that I will mention about Convoke in the Copter meta is even though it's not may not necessarily be a deck that wants to play Copter, you get to play four Gleeful Demolition main decks. So you just have one mana ways to blow up their Copter. So like maybe Convoke is like a sneaky good pick and it's already pretty good against Rakdos, I would say. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's worth noting, just to be clear about what the text on the card is, you, you don't get the tokens, and they don't get the tokens, or something weird like that. It just right. destroys an artifact. But still, one mana to destroy an artifact that is also part of your engine is not is not bad. For sure. I mean, you're getting the mana advantage, and typically, many of the decks are likely trying to take advantage of Copter, you know, kind of ramping the power of a one uh, one power creature or like you said it's like plays into their synergy of what they're trying to do with like discard so you're, you're kind of doing a few things at once getting rid of the copter for the mana efficiency there and one thing i will note about Rakto sacrifice which i thought was kind of strange is it seemed like most of the list that i had looked at did include copter however the only list that i saw that didn't include it happened to be jabberwocky who is the Rakdosak goat. For those of you who don't know, he's like just he, all he does is play Rakdos Sacrifice. So it was very strange to see. 
a player of his caliber not choose to play Copter? Because it seemed like pretty much all the other SAC players were doing it. So I wonder if if maybe he is uh, he's onto something that we're not. Yeah, interesting. I can I tell you something else that I saw that that blew my mind a little bit. I saw at least one list that did well in one of the challenges, and I don't remember who piloted it, but it was a red black sacrifice deck that cut Witches Oven and Cauldron Familiar and was all in on just Oni called Advil Anvil instead, which I was kind of surprised by as well. Maybe it wasn't like a full sack list at that point, but it was like we're playing Copter and Anvil, and that's kind of it. Which I was I think like, I that's, found it. That's interesting. <laughs> Yep, I think I found it. Three Anvil, four Synthesizer, three Copter. Oh, synthesizer, yeah. Yeah, and no Witches Ovens. So no Ovens, no Cauldron Familiars. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily sign off on that one, but it's an interesting take on it. Anvil is like another kind of... Uh, there's no Mayhem Devils either. This is kind of a weird list. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting list as well. Interesting. It's cool to hear Jabberwocky's name too. I didn't realize that they had moved over to being like a pioneer... Uh, main in some ways because they used to be a junt main in modern for forever <laughs> oh, i remember that as yeah. well <laughs> yeah yep. all right so copter making in a pro oh the other thing i was going to say about copter 2 and rakdos uh mid-range the sequence that i keep seeing people talk about is turn two copter turn three fable correct use yep. use the fable token to activate the copter which is seems pretty good way to lever i mean you don't get the treasure token of course but it seems like a pretty good way to leverage your token that's a kind of an anemic attacker sometimes gets gets blocked out on the ground and you can't even turn it into treasure anyway like so it's, it's a nice way to make sure that that card continues to deliver an advantage too yeah, and one other important thing about that specific curve is if you go Bankbuster into Fable, you can't crew the Bankbuster on three. And that's, I think, another massive advantage that Copter has over Bankbuster. You know, I, I could talk about for, for hours on end about how Copter is just a better card than Bankbuster. But that even is the icing on the cake, too, is because it doesn't naturally curve into Fable. So it's going to be a factor. It might be a factor that... Be, that continues to make Rakdos be the most popular deck or push that up the the mana. Well, not continue to be the most popular deck. It's actually not the most popular deck right now from what from a lot of these challenge metas at least. But it could be an upward force on Rakdos being uh, being good again in this meta as well. All right, so a couple of couple of let's move from that section now. So that's new cards from bands. Okay. One of the other things that's going on is that Lost Caverns of Ixalan actually had a pretty big impact on the format in a number of ways. We already felt it. Of course, there was a ban, you know, but there's at least a few new new decks. And I think that the place that we really have to start here is with the Amalia combo deck. Now I do have to say, you all know I played this deck like three or four weeks ago, and I was immediately like, this deck is trash. I'm not going to play it ever again. <laughs> well, Dave, known known creature combo aficionado, Dave yeah. Arbarger. Like, you know me, I love Yawgmoth and Devoted Druid, and the only creature combo that I like is Vanifar, so, uh, for what it's worth. You, you like prowess creatures plus spells combo. Yes, but I will say, the build is really a lot different from what I played. And because the the one that I played only had uh, Coco, basically didn't even have quarter calling, and oh, definitely wow. didn't have return to, return to the ranks, which are both a huge part of making this deck actually work. I also think that you'll talk about this more, but it, that deck also that I played also didn't have Cenote Scout, which I think is uh, so it was a little light on cheap ways to make the combo kind of go. Yeah. So there's there's a lot there's been a lot of involve uh, evolution in this deck over the last couple of weeks. If you look at for example the league dump on twelve seven, there were seven different entries in that five zero league dump that were Amalia decks, I believe. Yeah, the, and 
that's telling. I'm going to get into that a little bit, but like you can have seven seven different builds show up in a five O list because the lists are still all over the place in terms of what they're what they're doing with sideboard or even some main deck inclusions. Yeah, and then of course you know there were seven in the top 32 of the challenge on the 9th of December. And then I hadn't seen the data from the 10th yet, but you guys have, and here it is, that there was five on the challenge on the 10th, and it was in first and seventh place in the showcase also on the 10th as well. So thank you for updating my stats, everybody. Um, but yeah, so this deck is here, and it's it's making an impact. And Shane, you actually played it this week a lot, right? Yeah, I was, I was testing this deck out and my my heading in the notes is Amalia is very cool and I think very good. Um, and, <laughs> it's good heading. And uh, yeah, I think this is an up and coming deck. Like I think, and people are iterating on this pretty quickly. And I think we're seeing some good success here. And I'm I'm curious what your take on this, Devin, is how you're mentally preparing perhaps to face it uh, because like you know whatever Dave said a few weeks ago and who's possibly remembering that at this point. I mean, mm. or that likely all this stuff still stands, but it's like the only way I can continue to exist is by people forgetting <laughs> what I said three weeks ago. And I mean, you probably know the core combo of this deck. I'm going to repeat it. It's, you know, Amalia plus wild growth Walker. And if either of them get kind of triggered by either gaining life for Amalia or exploring for a Walker, it begins this back and forth bounce where Amalia is exploring and Walker is gaining you life and Amalia is exploring and so on. And then Malia reaches 20 power and destroys everything on the board, leaving you like, what is it like a 22, 22 at that point or 20. I feel like it happens. Like she gets a 21 or something like that. It's, it's kind of interesting. I forget exactly how that works because triggers are stacking, etc. blah, blah, blah. So like this typically is growing your life total out of a reasonable range for a lot of decks to be killing you efficiently gives you a lot of time no matter what's happening and but it also leaves you with this huge amalia that the opponent has to deal with like in one turn or they have to block she doesn't have trample or they or, or they're simply just dying to the, the the swing right so this sounds all great right but like you know like creature combo decks, you have to like set up the combo. You have to trigger the combo. You have to survive through interaction. You have to win when you're not in a situation for comboing, all that kind of good stuff. And right now we're in the time zone that's really exciting for me at least because like people are figuring out what the right deck construction is through play testing the meta is evolving quickly i think people are preparing for this deck more right now and so figuring out what like the post sideboard games are going to look like what you have in your sideboard when you play this deck because people are preparing for you so you have to figure out how you're responding to that preparation one thing i want to mention on like just in terms of it being a like generic creature deck or creature combo deck rather so I think a lot of people kind of associate creature combo with like Yawgmoth and stuff where it's, you know, if you like can break up the Yawgmoth or you like kill their undying creature in response, what, what ends up happening here is like, it almost has this like splinter twin style effect where you feel pri like if they go say one, like say they go Lunark veteran into Amalia, you're, you're almost, you're under the gun almost immediately. You can't tap out. You have to hold up mana, very similar to like the geological stuff. But the other really nice thing about the combo is like a lot of people have, you know, what, what ends up happening with the combo is like Shane said, everything else blows up. So what you can do is you can actually wait for them to combo off let everything die and then kill their Amalia. Now, the problem with that is because they're playing so many like 
uh, spells that find creatures. They usually have like three to four return of the ranks, four cords, four cocos. What they can do is they can just keep exploring until they put one of those on top, let everything die, and then they could just recombo the next turn. And the combo basically sets itself up of every turn after that. Aren't they also at like seven? 90 life well that too they combo off too that seems like a problem as well yeah i mean that's the important part of return to the ranks specifically is that it's 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 so good in against removal heavy decks decks with sweepers whatever because like you cast return for like four or five mana and that effectively is rebuying the entire board state that you need to combo off again. Or if you have like a return plus a trigger card in your hand, like Cenote Scout or something like that, then you can get, then you can just cast it for four. Or if like an earlier combo piece had been removed, you could just cast it for three. And that's sufficient just to get the ball rolling, right? And so this places really significant pressure on your opponents because you're surviving through the removal and return to the ranks is a two for one. Um, so or, or more. So you're able to keep up with the card advantage and the recursion that you're presenting um, when you cast that spell. Um, so that's, I think, is a really important uh, setup piece and, and rebuying piece that I think is giving a lot of uh, life to the deck. And I think, interestingly, other main deck decisions that are being made right now are like, how many combo triggering creatures are we running like one cenote or three or four like how many lunark veterans are we having for gaining life i think uh, prosperous innkeeper is just a necessary inclusion in this deck i don't think that was necessarily in the the first iterations of this deck was it dave yeah it, it was okay. in some number it was just one of those things where because none of the draw cards were here all of the cards felt kind of underpowered in the version that i play but now that you can do all this other stuff i think it's uh, it yeah. makes a lot more sense you just have to have that life gain trigger and it ramps you which is really ideal in a lot of ways like some people are starting to bring in extraction specialist which gets you a two mana value creature out of the yard so if you're in a removal heavy meta uh, or any removal at all like it's it's good to have that to buy back one of your combo pieces if you need Um, so i think those are really important and like devin said is amalia setting up the ability to just go off again and you know it, it even against what's interesting is like even against like exile based removal right like oh they exiled my amalia they didn't just kill her like you could just just ex- you should probably just make sure you explore another amalia into the yard during the process so you have like an amalia there as well as a return to the ranks sitting on top i found myself sort of just defaulting to return to the ranks on top because it's just like hey if they have any removal i can just reset this back up again and and i found that to be uh a really straightforward way to ensure that you win the game. Yeah, that or Coco. You usually want to put one of those two on top. Yeah. When when do you think you'd put Coco instead of Return? Like if you just wanted to kind of like if you if you felt like you weren't against a deck that had a, a, the way to remove your creature, like when would you think do you think you'd get Coco instead? Like I can think of a, one example like if you're playing post sideboard and you have creatures that can remove their creatures. Like you have like a, an exile thing and you're like, okay, well, if they cast a blocker, I'm not in great shape. So I'm just, I want to have some kind of interaction here or something like that. Or maybe like a cord of calling. You could have like a cord mm-hmm. for yep. that that style of creature. So I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, it kind of depends on what you have left in your hand, too. So, like, the one issue that I think you could maybe run into is, like, if you just snap bin every Coco, the issue is, like, if you're playing against a deck that has the capability of stopping the combo multiple times, if you bin all of your Cocos to find a return, mm, like, yeah. if the game goes long, you might just run out of resources, Yeah, you know, if they can keep stopping your combo. So that's something you got to consider as well. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, like, how how much am I binning before I get to one of my returns? I think it's, it's a it's a really good thought for sure. It's like, you know, how many how many two-for-ones am I giving up with my Cocos here, you know, depending on how grindy we're getting post-sideboard or something like that. And... I think that's where I want to go next is like post sideboard stuff is players are already responding to this with like more brotherhoods and more anger of the gods, you know, stuff like that. And so maybe you need something like a guardian of faith. Like I've seen this as a one of in boards now, which is like a one, one, a one white, white spirit knight with flash and that you can phase out any number of target creatures you control. Like people are saying they're already seeing rampaging Ferocidon. So like the anti-life gain. Yeah. So you might need more removal, like get lost or werewolf bodyguard or skyclave apparition or something, or like people there's rampaging for us. And on it's yeah, there four of them, the, uh, you know, something like Knights of night of dusk's shadow, which makes your opponents unable to gain life. So hedge for the mirror, probably a good idea at this point. You know, you're, you're that toolbox deck. You've got cords and collected companies and the possibilities for your toolbox are fairly endless. And, uh, or my question here, and, and my suspicion is that at the RC, this is going to be a popular deck, I think. And in the coming, the RC in the coming weeks are going to tell us more about like what the power level and construction concepts for this deck are really going to be. See, it's kind of weird, right? I actually kind of think that if this, like if this turn, if this weekend didn't happen, I think Amalia would be in a much better position coming into the RC. The one thing that I, I will mention is like you, you said, there are, you know, a decent amount of hate cards, like specifically the anti-life gain stuff. There's going to be an uptick in that. There's like Grafdigger's Cage, which shuts off uh, all three of the spells, Cord, Coco, and Return of the Ranks. So you have stuff oh, like that. I, I've no. heard, I've heard that being a very common sideboard card. So had this deck not had an insane weekend for relatively what what it did relative to the format. Um, I think it would be a much more well-positioned deck, but I, I really do think that a lot of people are going to be prepared for something like this. Yeah. And it does seem like a deck where if you just have, you know, like two or three dedicated sideboard cards that can go a long way. Yeah. I was going to say this deck to me and no, this is not me trying to like maintain my earlier opinion about it from when I played it. Feels a little bit like one of those decks that's going to be super hyped before a big event like this and then just not perform very well. Yeah, because everyone's Whether prepped. it's because of Cyborg Herit or people understand it, yeah, or prepped for it exactly. Weirdly, with this one, I also wonder a little bit if we're going to get like an excessive number of draws going on in the tournament because of people messing up the combo or intentionally uh, I maybe did that. drawing to get her way to get rid of lot to avoid losing kind of. Well, now that you bring up draws, Dave, I had actually briefly considered uh, for a very well, we'll use a specific example. So for Gruel, I had considered uh, there was actually a player, McWinsauce, who did this in, I believe it was a prelim. He played one copy of Rimrock Knight. So for those of you who don't know Rimrock Knight, it's a creature, but the adventure half is very simply red target creature gets plus two, plus one until end of turn. It's an right. instant. Right. So what ends up happening is against Amalia combo, you wait until their Amalia goes to 19 power you Rimrock Knight to make it 21 power and the game ends in a draw because they that the, they, can't, they can't stop the Amalia combo. Yeah, you, yeah right. it's unstoppable. I learned this. So it's a searchable way to just draw the game. 
That's which is so kind of wild. ridiculous. That's yeah. really funny. So like giant growth ed or something. That's what, yeah. Like if, yeah, because what happens is you just, you can't stop exploring and, uh, and you effectively, you don't have to deck yourself. And so it just basically in the rules of magic becomes a draw. And so it's an option you know, either as, you know, if you're super tricky, you know, gr- giant growth at the 20 or, or 21 and, or if you want to draw yourself, you can, you know, get back and, and start over like the, uh, the explore loop. If, if Amalia is past 20 life yourself. So if you find yourself in some weird unwinnable position, perhaps like you can try that. Just saying, if you're playing Gruul, it might not be that bad off having one Rimrock in your sideboard. Cause if you win game one, you can just draw the other games until the time that the clock runs out. <laughs> Perfect. That's I, I look, mean, that is well within the rules. I'm not hey, suggesting I mean, doing anything. This illegal, isn't angle okay? shooting. And I, no, this it's isn't not. Angle shooting. I mean, it's it's the same thing where if this person, you know, if they were to say, "Well, I won game one, and now I'm going to draw the other two games," you know what I mean, on purpose, or we're just going to draw all three games on purpose, <laughs> you know, because it seems like I'm going to lose all of them, but I can't stop. But my opponent can't stop the draw, you know. So it's just, uh, I don't. It's a weird one. I do feel like this one is, you know, like there's, it was like 18%, 15% of the top 32s of these challenges though, right? I, I don't think it's going to be represented that high no, uh, in the no, RC so. when it comes down to it, but I guess we'll see what happens. Weirdly enough, I also don't think the deck is that great into Phoenix. Like mm-hmm. just the combination yeah. of like Phoenix more so than Rakdos because Phoenix is a deck that can like keep loading up on removal spells, right? Like they go removal spell, cruise, removal spell, cruise, removal spell, whatever, keep finding stuff. Whereas Rakdos uh, feels like it eventually runs out and Phoenix doesn't. So I, th- I think Phoenix is actually, I'm pretty sure it's favorite against the Amalia deck. Yeah, and I suspect Phoenix is going to be quite popular at the RC. Don't give away my next section. Okay. So let's let's close out the new cards part real quick so we can get to that part though. This is the other like new deck that's still floating around from this. It, it's ju- Is it just bad? Like I, I yes. don't... I, okay. I, there's only a couple of results. There's two that made the top 32 of the 12-8 challenge, but it didn't look like there was a lot of people picking up or picking it up. So we can just move on from that if it's actually bad. Yeah, I mean, I tried it like after the Geo ban. I tried like one or two leagues with Quintorius, and it just the deck being a full turn slower, you definitely lose a lot of explosiveness. And that was what made the geological deck so good is your opponent having that one extra turn to develop their board before they have to start holding up mana is not great for that deck. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then there's some other new, a smattering of other new cards that are popping up. Get Lost is, is, appearing in a bunch of decks kind of like we thought it would it's in blue eye control i've seen it in convoke i've seen it in amalia bitter triumph is maybe the card that's actually doing a bit more in the meta or getting a bit more adoption across a number of decks including people trying like grixis phoenix as a result of of this card or it's in rakdos mid or it's in grease fang so it's that's just a a, a good card Tidebinder is showing up occasionally. Sunken Citadel is showing up in Lotus. I don't see anything else that's really defining, but there are a number of other cards that have popped up. I don't know if there's anything else that we need to talk about. It's like, hey, you should know that this card made this one deck a lot better that we haven't talked about already. Any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I just, you know, I will say the uh, Warden of the Inner Sky for Convoke. That card is nuts in Convoke. Uh, yeah. Bitter Triumph, very, very, probably the one of the bestiest card outlets that you can have on turn two for Grease Fang, just because it dumps the thing while also interacting with your opponent. Yep. Uh, those are kind of just like my my two takeaways from, from the new cards. So those cards are both sick. 
Yeah, yeah. All right. And then the other couple of things that are randomly happening as we kind of close out this or what I think is going on is, you know, we've talked about all these other decks, but Shane already kind of, Shane already kind of spoiled it. The, ba- the, Sorry, the most popular deck. Come on, Shane. Okay. The most popular deck in Pioneer right now is, 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 is it Phoenix? And I don't think that there, I think that the data kind of indicates that's true. It was over 20% of the top 32 of both the challenges that I looked at. It looks like it's very well represented in the Sunday challenge, the 10 on the 10th. And um, actually, Rakdos mid-range was big. It was only 12% in the Sunday challenge. And then in the showcase, it was 18%. It's, it's a lot of people playing Phoenix right now. So one thing I brought up earlier with like the 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 smuggler's copter in Rakdos, you know, I thought you know as it is just like a much better card. The one thing I will mention, so I think historically and typically Rakdos usually has a relatively decent matchup against Phoenix. There's like you know, the, the, just the way the cards line up, you have Shieldred, that card's hard tough for Phoenix to interact with. One thing I will mention with just that matchup specifically is the versions that have copter over Bankbuster. I actually think are maybe that that might slightly decrease your chances against Phoenix because not only are you cutting the 4-4 vehicle for a 3-3 vehicle, which is you know worse if you're lining up against Fiery Impulse, but you're also making your deck slightly more aggressively slanted. Like if you look at the Rakdos decks with Copter, they tend to have a lower curve with stuff like Inti, sometimes even Stalactite Stalker I've seen. And the the more you lower your curve, I think the worse you make your deck against Phoenix because Phoenix tends to prey on aggressive decks. So just something to keep in mind. I still think that Rakdos is fine into Phoenix, but I think maybe Rakdos may have lost a bit of an edge with the with the copter stuff. Interesting, but Phoenix is. I mean, is there any other reason that Phoenix itself is particularly doing well? You right? You think right now, or is it just kind of like stepping? It's just having a, a moment thanks to sleight of hand and other cards that were already in the format. So I think that with the de- with the banning of Geological Appraiser and the banning of Karn to a lesser extent, I mean, the Phoenix versus Green matchup was always kind of like, I think, pretty close. I, I would say that, you know, that was really just a play draw thing. Um, but one thing about the Geo ban is there's less reason to play blue-white. Blue-white traditionally was a horrendous matchup for Phoenix. Like, that matchup was really difficult, like the combination of just, like, Emperor exiling your post-board threats, rest in peace, all this stuff. So if blue-white is going to be on the decline, then it kind of makes sense for Phoenix to be to be up on the decline. And Phoenix, I think, is also very good against what people perceive to be, like, you know, maybe third and fourth best decks, which are Convoke and Gruel. Phoenix is relatively good against both of those. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Angels somehow won the 12-9 challenge, which was pretty interesting. It felt like maybe that was a reaction, because isn't Angels pretty good against Phoenix and also probably pretty good against Amalia because they're just going to gain a ton of life and not care about dying to Amalia anyway? Or like, I, I don't know where that came from, but I will say that every time we get around RC, similar to Mono Green, it does seem like people start playing angels or it starts popping up in certain places so i don't know if that's a thing in particular it doesn't it certainly doesn't have a lot of results but that was just another existing deck that i noticed won one of these events kind of unfortunate for angels to pop up now with people everybody wanting to talk about anti-life king cards because of amalia so they kind of got caught by the crossfire (laughs) that might have been just one moment where it was like nobody realized they should play anti-life cards so this deck did okay and then probably be gone from there Get those Ferocidons in my sideboard. Right. Yeah, you better. Uh, now I know you're playing red, though, which I already thought. Yeah. Um, 
Devin, anything anything from your testing that you would want us to know? Maybe as we before we get to this, like, hey, let's take a shot at the meta, Shane. Yeah, let's go to let's go to Doom's domain. I want to I yeah. want to know all about what's going on here. I mean, honestly, I, I spent a little bit of time playing with some of like the some of the fringe copter decks that I maybe discussed uh, a little bit last week with like Hollow One and Soul Artifact and all this weird stuff. And I don't know, it just seemed like they didn't line up super well against the removal heavy Rakdos decks and Phoenix decks. So uh, yeah, kind of put those onto the shelves. I still, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% locked in. Uh, I, there's a couple of, of things that I'm that are leading in the front runners are probably like either, you know, I think I'm basically deciding at this point between Rakdos and Gruul because I did kind of say what I was going to say, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I did. I Ooh, did say no I was going to play a copter deck. No, I mean, well, Prowess isn't in, in, in that good in Pioneer. No, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant a uh, uh, Convoke. Oh, Convoke. Yeah, no, I, tr- I tried Convoke, but like, again, I think Convoke is not really good into Phoenix. Now, that that being said, neither is Gruul. I think both those decks are not great into Phoenix, but I've been very, very happy with the Gruul deck. The one thing that I really like about uh, Smuggler's Copter in the Gruul deck is... So what Gruul was, we talked about this a little bit last week, but what Gruul was missing was just a really solid two drop, right? So the way the deck is built, it's all ones and it's all threes. And every time they kill your elf, you don't have a good two drop to play. And Copter is like the perfect fit in that spot of the curve. It's really good at like filtering out extra elves later in the game. It's, you know, it's just an aggressive card, which is what you wanted in the Gruul deck. It's just like, it seems like the perfect card for the Gruul deck. So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards right now. Uh, which is maybe a boring answer for the listeners. I kind of wish I'd come up with something more (laughs) spicy and I I wish I could say that I broke it, but uh, yeah, just going to maybe stick with consistency this time around. I mean, I I don't know what's not spicy about Gruul though. Like it's a deck that's been good in different eras and it's been kind of a little bit on a downswing, but it has a really powerful new tool that fits right into it. Like I still think it's a pretty interesting choice, especially since it hasn't, it's not like it itself has broken in any of these events we just talked about, but it's been there and has been performing and it's been a part of these top 32 so i i think it's a i think it's a good and interesting choice i think you should get style points for that devin if <laughs> that's what you're worried about what are you thinking about for some of your like flex spots are you like a halana and alana partners thing like are we talking like um sentinel the name of city love struck beast uh the list the last list that i played on stream today i had so it was eight elves four copter Four Stormseeker, four Huntsman's Redemption, uh, four, I think it was four Crow and War, four Chariot, and the flex spots were two Lovestruck Beast, which I haven't been on previously, but with Copter, having the additional 1 1 body is really, really massive. So I like Lovestruck Beast a lot more. And then I think I had two Thrill Seeker, one Sentinel, and I actually had a main deck Ferocidon. And what I like about that is like it only costs you one main deck spot, but you effectively have five copies of it with uh, Huntsman's Redemption. And like, yes, it's obviously insane against the Amalia deck, but there was just like a bunch of random stuff where it, it felt pretty good. Like my opponent was just like, I don't know, I just cast this thing on turn two and they played two, three creatures and they took three damage. And I was like, oh, you're just dead. Yeah. So it just seems like a fine card to main deck. Yeah, I've been seeing more things like Tranquil Frillback seeing some play in these decks like it's probably good to hedge against people gaining life against you um or you can play a frill back yourself if you want to gain some life or something like that also like to start you know de- destroying artifacts or enchantments it's or exiling graveyards like all that stuff is very flexible so are you eyeballing any frill blacks as well 
I had one on the side. I basically I had one main for a little bit, but I decided to move it for the move it to the board to make room for the Ferocidon. And then I tried a weird strat because like I played two leagues today with Gruel. I went eight and two, and I basically destroyed everything that wasn't Phoenix, and I lost to Phoenix twice. So mm -hmm. I uh, I'm trying out. I tried instead of the hearses, I tried four ley lines in the sideboard, and I realized that that was not a good idea. When <laughs> I like I well I beat my Phoenix opponent game one, and then game two I started on ley line and. And they just like very easily killed me with shielded. It was the blue black Phoenix deck. And I was oh, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, not that Hearst would have won that game either, but I think the problem with the matchup doesn't necessarily stem with the graveyard. It's like, well, specifically the black version having shielded that card is really hard to beat. Um, yeah. But yeah, I need to figure out a plan for the Phoenix deck, but I, I mean, I kind of like my matchup against almost everything else. Can I ask you about the black versus traditional? Is it Phoenix deck? Like, do you think that when we talk about we're you know we're about to talk about how many decks we think are to show up, all that kind of stuff? Like, uh, is it a significantly different deck from Is It Phoenix? Is it just tuned to the meta game, or do you think it's actually a totally different thing? It's definitely not a different deck. Like, if you kind of look at the composition of the Phoenix decks, you have the red cards that they're playing were Fiery Impulse and Lightning Axe, which got caught for Fatal Push and Bitter Triumph kind of, you know, a wash, basically. And then the other red cards are typically, I mean, you have like one Galvanic iteration, maybe two copies to go with Trespass, and those got swapped out for Shieldreds, which is just a different win condition. So like the composition is basically the same. One thing that I will say about the black version is the combination of Thoughtseize plus Shieldred actually gives you a fighting chance against Lotus Field. And blue-red Phoenix traditionally is a, like close to 0% against Lotus Field. So uh, the black cards giving you percentages in that match up. And the other thing is in post-board games, you would rather have Fatal Push against opposing Copters because you expect the Copter decks to have a load of Graveyard Hate in the sideboard. And if they're keeping you off of Spell Mastery for Fiery Impulse, Fatal Push doesn't care about Spell Mastery. So I think in the Copter meta, I would prefer to be on Fatal Push than Fiery Impulse. So something else to keep in mind. Interesting. I have not gotten to try that one out. I would, I'm, I would love to do that at some point, but I'll be really curious to see where it, it comes up. All right. You guys want to call some metas? See what happens? Uh, Let's do it. Oh, yeah. So, Devin, you have not fully picked, but you do know that involves some choppers. Yeah, it's it's probably going to, like I said, at, at this current state in, you know, time, time, it's between Rakdos and Gruul. I will say I played a little bit of the Gavruta deck today, and I wanted it to be good, but it was not very good. <laughs> oh, boo. I remember that when it was good. What a weird month. All you right. Got a top six, so Dave? I I'm going to take my first stab at the top six. All right, we'll, we'll let Devin go last because he, he's the most in touch with this stuff. I think that my top six decks in order are going to be Phoenix, Lotus Field, Whoa. which is like a curveball, but I think with a bunch of people bringing Phoenix, a bunch of people are going to pick up Lotus and they may not realize what Devin said about the fact that the Grixis Phoenix decks maybe have a bit of a fighting chance against Lotus. I think Rack Mid, Gruel Vehicles, Amalia, and Convoke are the the order that I think the meta will go in. Okay. I mean, it's of course similar to mine. I have, is it Phoenix mostly being, is it not Grixis uh, rack mid with copter convoke? I think that people might still just want to, or think they can convoke people out uh, Amalia combo. I think people might, I think some people are going to just maybe be high on it and maybe try to prepare uh, some anti-hate. Maybe they just think it's really good and that people won't be fully prepared for it. Gruel Vehicles and then Lotus Field I have in sixth. All right. So you and I have the same six decks though. Yeah. 
I don't. Th- I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see like Azorius Control sneak in the, that top six. I think it would potentially be a mistake, but this is an RC we're talking about, so you never know. Right. All right, Devin. What, yeah. What do you think? Okay, so at least in my prediction, uh, I think it's going to be very, very close between one and two. I think one and two are clearly going to be Phoenix and Rakdos. I still don't really know which one to put first. I think if I had to put it like an exact number, my guess would be like, I don't know, like 13% Rakdos, 12% Phoenix. It's going to be within a percent of each other. Kind of like so that. Okay. Those are my those are my one and two. I'm not quite sure how to order them. Uh, my number three deck, I actually kind of think that people are, I think that my number three, I don't know if I want to go Hidden Strings. I don't want to go Convoke either. It's weird. If people can acquire the cards, I would I would say Amalia, but like it's weird because Amalia had a good weekend this weekend, and that's only what like five days out before Atlanta. And this deck's got right. some weird cards in it. Like Return to the Ranks is just incredibly hard to find. So I don't know if people are going to be able to get the cards, but I will. I'll I'll go ahead and kind of throw. I'll put it third. I'll say I'll say Rakdos, then Phoenix, then Amalia, assuming that people can get cards. And this is an RC, so I'm going to assume that. Right. Uh, so we'll do those three. And then the next three, I want to put, I was going to say Rectos Sacrifice, but that kind of feels like a cop-out because I want to I, I want to include Sacrifice in mid. Those are like very, very similar decks. So let's say after that, we'll do, hmm, we'll say Lotus Field fourth. And then after Lotus Field, we'll do Gruel Vehicles. And then I'll give you a little bit of a curveball. I'll say Abzan Grease Fang will be the next most played. Grease Fang. Yeah, I think that's the most significant one that was left off of those oh, six yeah. that Shane and I had. So, but I think that's good. I, I will say the one thing I think that we all have here is Lotus Field being more represented than it has been in any of yes. them that, that we've seen over the last few days. So that's one thing that I think is notable for people who are listening right now is all, all of us sort of expect there to be more, <laughs> more hidden strings than have been on Moto lately. Although... I do kind of agree with what CCR was saying on Grindcast this past week, which is basically like, Lotus Field seems good, and I think I'm a competent player, but I don't know if I can get good enough with it in the time span that I have. And so I don't know how many people can suddenly consider themselves like Lotus Field masters when they can maybe audible to something like more mid-rangey or more straightforward, like aggressive or something like that. I don't really know. Like uh, Lotus is a little bit challenging, I think, especially for what the last, you know, arbitrarily 5% or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I, I don't know if the circle, so at the RC, it, it is a high level tournament. It's not as high level as a pro tour, right? So I don't know if the player profile of someone who like can play Lotus overlaps much with someone who wants to who would audible into convoke instead of lotus like they're going to go to grease fang or something instead you know what i mean like the tricky people want to be tricky the aggro people probably want to be aggro so I, it'll it'll be interesting to see for sure i'll even give you a little little bonus seventh place i actually kind of think that we didn't we mentioned we briefly touched on this earlier in the pod but i actually kind of think that uh sneaky enigmatic incarnation might not be in a bad spot this weekend so i it's traditionally pretty good against phoenix it lost one of its worst matchups in the form of uh, of mono green and just like i think it's it's insane against rakdos so if you know if the top two decks are phoenix and rakdos and you have a good matchup against both may not be a bad uh, bad weekend for enigmatic here there you go are you ready you amped Devin? you're gonna be playing pioneer all week oh yeah mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. When are you going to lock it in and just uh, are you going to ever lock it in and play only that on stream or still try to keep the entertainment level high by mixing it up? No, I'm just playing some different stuff. I mean, I'm only going to be streaming tomorrow and Wednesday, and then I'm leaving on Thursday. So, um, yeah, just playing some different stuff. Now that I mentioned Enigmatic, I actually kind of want to play a little bit because I haven't played that deck in a while. So, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll play a little bit and see how it feels. I do own that deck, so it's, it's, it's always good prep too to play against decks that you will likely face maybe once or twice in a tournament. So, you know, remember how it plays, remember how to hate it out or something like that. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm psyched. This weekend's going to be amazing. And uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'll bring the trophy to the podcast next week. That would be sweet. Fingers crossed. We could have a yeah, special, be- special guest uh, winner of the RC, Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwick. Yeah. My friends, I think that wraps things up. And we will give you a report on the RC next week, of course, and anything else that's going on more interesting than that. I don't know what that would be, but that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, feel free to subscribe to the pod. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out on your podcast player of choice. If you use Apple Podcasts or use Spotify, feel free to leave us a rating there, leave us a review or a comment. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so at the dive down on Twitter or email us at thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to keep us going, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Feel free to check out the store for some swag at thedivedown.com slash store. Get yourself prepped for those events coming up in February. I'm going to be here in Denver, of course, and then we'll be all be in Chicago, maybe Doom, We can if we can get them in there. Go over to heavyplay.com. Get some incredible deck and dice boxes and playmats with the Equipmag system. Use code the dive down two zero two three for ten percent off your order there. And shout out to Mana Traders, of course, for sponsoring us. You can use the promo code the dive down twenty three two three for ten percent off of your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using code the dive down twenty three all spelled out for 15% off your first order there. And of course, our friends over at Nerd Rage Gaming give you 8% off your order with Dive 8. As always, thanks to Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and win our regional championship.